You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast. I'm Don Vaughn here with Colin Campbell and Danielle Battaglia. And missing this week is Will Doran, who has got a new role of being a dad in addition to a politics reporter. So congrats to the Dorans and he'll be back uh, hopefully before election season. Uh, But before Will left on um, whatever limited leave he has, he and Danielle had a crazy Friday, which is why we're recording a few days later than usual, um, because of absentee ballot drama, uh, kerfuffle. uh, Danielle, tell us what's up. Okay, so um, sometime last week, and everything's running together at this point, but sometime last week, we found out that the two Republican members of the Board of Elections had resigned. And basically the information we were given was that they had unanimously agreed on a settlement that changes the rules for mail-in voting. And um, a lot of Republican politicians were speaking out against them. There was a lot of uh, press releases going out saying that they were against this vote. Um, And when Ken Raymond and David Black had sent in their... um, their resignations, they basically said they weren't given all the information they should have had on the settlement and that the attorney general's office and other attorneys had withheld information from them. And so um, basically we knew they resigned. We knew this settlement had happened. Um, There's still some questions about how that settlement happened. And um, even if it should have been publicly disclosed that they had a vote or not had a vote. So there's a whole lot of like exterior drama. But with this in particular, um, our day got a little crazy because we got a tip that David Black's wife, who goes by Deb on Facebook, um, had posted that her husband and Mr. Raymond were forced out by the Republican Party. They specifically um, mentioned Mr. Watley had pushed them out. So um, you know, we started making phone calls trying to figure out what went into this. He heard from, he being Will, heard from Tim Wigginton that um, the, the men had called the council and spoke, or called their council, spoke with them. And it wasn't apparently the nicest phone call. They let their feelings be known about their votes and how they weren't happy that these two men had voted with the settlement. And uh, their resignations came the next day. I also spoke with Mr. Black, who has told me that his wife did post on Facebook that he was forced out. And um, he appreciated that his wife was defending him and felt the need to defend him. Um, They don't always see eye to eye politically. And he basically said he was going to leave it at that and not comment specifically on whether he was forced into the resignation. He did say he can't be forced into a resignation. Like that's not even possible. Um, But he said, you know, this has been, he's been on the board, he thinks since last, not, I don't think it was this last January, the January before. And I mean, they've had so much going on from the ninth congressional district drama to, um, you know, people leaving and coming from the board of elections and he said there were so many times that he just wanted to resign anyways. Um, he, he's always on the losing team. He said it's rare that the Republicans get what they want on this board because it's three to two constantly with three Democrats and two Republicans making up the board. Um, and he's like, he would drive for two hours and 20 minutes from his home down around Charlotte, but I don't think it was in Charlotte. And um, 
like all for a vote that didn't really matter. So I think there was some frustration. I don't think we put this in the article, but he also thought it was a two year term and it's actually four years. So he was completely unaware that he would be on that long and, um, you know, just called it quits after this issue with the settlement. It's interesting that he said like about party vote, because there's a lot of people that show up to the General Assembly every day of session and know they're not going to win anything, regardless of party. And uh, obviously, your your heart has to be in it. But he didn't say that his wife was wrong, right? What's, what I think what's interesting is that people's families who know all the behind the scenes things will um, sometimes make that public, you know, if they're unhappy about it. And uh, that was just really like hats off to you and Will for for that coverage. And, you know, this is a lot of people don't always realize behind the scenes of our own work, like how much goes into it. You don't just find out something and then write a story without doing a whole lot of other stuff, a whole lot of digging and verifying and, and finding things out and, and having people confirm things. And, and even, you know, if we, we can't just say, if we're going to say sources say it needs to be more than one um, and from different people and we need that ourselves, you know, not just someone else tells us the second hand and that sort of thing. So um, this is, I think, a testament to how awesome our politics team is with uh, Danielle and Will. Will, if you're listening to this when you're out on paternity leave, props for, for a good job. So, uh, well, Daniel, where do you think, what do you think this means now? Just more, more drama, more, and well, obviously, you know, the timing of everything. I think it's been interesting if you hear like the national politics of what's going on with our election. There's a lot of um, discussions on whether this election is even going to be held fairly on like, we're doing mail-in ballots. We might have Russia intervening. Um, we have, you know, people voting in person not in person, uh, different ways that ballots are being collected depending on the state. And we're hearing a lot about, um, you know, whether even the presidential candidates will accept whatever the fate of this election is. And I think you're seeing that a little bit in North Carolina where there's questions of, are we having voter fraud here? Um, will this be a fair election? I think that's a lot of where we're going to see this discussion heading in the um, coming I was going to say months, but we're not that far away. Coming weeks. And um, also this settlement, by the way, hasn't even been approved. So we've still got to see what happens with the courts and where this uh, this particular lawsuit is headed. Yeah, I think there's a concern, you know, we're going to have a close election. And if it's super close, I mean, I was having flashbacks the other day when I was hearing talk of, you know, will we not know the winner on Election Day or even the days immediately after Election Day? I was thinking back to 2016 when I covered the governor's race between Pat McCrory and Roy Cooper, and we didn't know for sure, you know, how that was going to turn out until well into December because there were so many fights over um, voter challenges. You know, is this person eligible to vote? Did they vote twice? Uh, are these absentee ballots uh, eligible? Um, and this situation, I think, gets us to a point where we're going to have partisan fighting over the process and particularly the process for how absentee ballots are addressed. Um, you know, the concern that Republicans have about this settlement is they're arguing that it's going to undo some of the protections that need to be in place because of the Ninth District scandal a couple of years ago, um, where you had absentee ballot harvesting where a group was going around and getting people, collecting people's ballots. Um, the, the goal with that is that, you know, now if you, to, to avoid that, um, 
you know, you have the witness requirement. It used to be two witnesses on your absentee ballot. Now it's one in response to COVID. Um, the lawsuit that being settled here is is challenging that as an unfair burden to somebody who might be super quarantining and not have someone around that they can have uh, witness their ballot. Um, and uh, and therefore that would might make them, it harder for them to vote. Uh, the flip side of that is um, when you have someone witnessing your ballot, that person is attesting that you are you and that no one is faking your name and uh, sending in a ballot on your behalf without your permission. Um, and there's a concern if you drop that, then you lose that aspect of it. Um, there's also concern about how you go about returning an absentee ballot if you don't want to do it through the mail. Obviously, you know, we've heard all the concerns about uh, the postal services. There's a desire among people who want to take it in in person, uh, but they may not feel comfortable actually walking into the Board of Elections, picking up a communal pin, signing off on a form, uh, that says they were the ones bringing in the ballot. Um, I will the, say there's no communal pen anymore. Oh, that's right. It's a single-use special pen. And yeah. apparently it's a it's like a commemorative pen, like the pen version of an iVoting sticker. <laughs> that would be awesome. I totally want one. Yeah, I saw some of Q-tips. There's Q-tips. Yeah, Q-tips. Because I, yeah, Danielle was like, well, wait a minute. What's all the marking stuff? And I'm like, is it Q-tip brand Q-tips, you know? Like Xerox and Kleenex. <laughs> That's what it said on the Board of Elections website, though. So, I did see um, Paul Wolverton down at the Fayetteville Observer commenting that Cumberland County uh, may be replacing I voted stickers with the commemorative one-time use pins, which uh, may upset a lot of people who like to go around wearing an I voted sticker on Election Day. Although these days, I don't know how many places you're going to go on Election Day other than the polls to show off your I voted sticker. But... No, you take a picture of the sticker and you post it on social media. Yeah, and that's brag what you about do. It, you know? do that as a political reporter, like post that sticker, be like, oh, go yeah. vote. Also, there's, I hear there's sticker trading this year. Oh, yeah, the special Durham ones that uh, people are getting in the mail with their absentee ballots. I was so, glad to yeah. see that you get one in the mail if you do decide to vote by mail. I will say that you brought up Durham this time, so I wasn't the first one that did it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, their their voting stickers are awesome. I mean, Wake is okay. I remember getting one that said like Wake votes early, and it was the shape of Wake County, which sort of looks like I don't know some Midwestern state. But uh, yeah, I forget what the Durham winner was this year. But they have a contest, and I think they could come up with some really cool rally ones with you know I acorns. No bull, I voted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So that was, a, I think, a cool thing to, I mean, if anyone needs any more reason to be excited about voting in election day, if it's the sticker. I don't know if they still do it, but in Rockingham County, they used to hand you leftover Halloween candy when you voted. So that was awesome. That's a good way to disperse of your kid's stash. That's, I mean, if we even get like stashes of Halloween candy this year, I don't know. I'm pretty sure someone in our newsroom is working on a story about that and we'll find out about what, uh, what Halloween is going to look like this year. So, but um, I declare that it's almost October and go ahead and put your Halloween decorations up because I certainly have. So, all right. Anything, yeah. What else do we need to know? Yeah. About? Okay. <laughs> anyway, back to wherever I was before I went off on a tangent about commemorative pins, um, yeah, about the, the process of returning your ballot. So you're, you're somebody who wants to vote absentee. Uh, you don't trust the postal service. So you want to bring it in, in person, uh, but you don't necessarily want to go inside the building because you know you're going to be around other people. Uh, so there's a desire for a, a, some sort of like secure drop box where you can just drive through like it's a mailbox and, and drop it off, um, and then have it know that it got directly to the, the board of elections. Um, there's a process in place or in the in progress as part of the settlement that would uh, create some of that. Uh, big concerns from Republicans that that would also uh, create a ballot harvesting issue because one of the reasons we 
learned about the Ninth District scandal was that you had the same people signing off that they had brought in, you know, potentially dozens of ballots to the Board of Elections office, uh, which is something you shouldn't be doing. Um, and under the new laws, you can't do. Um, but if you were dropping it off anonymously, there'd be no way to track that. So that's a big concern. Um, but I think ultimately what you're going to see is, you know, yes, technically this is a settlement and maybe the judge approves that, but there will probably be more litigation and there already has been in response to the settlement to the previous litigation. And a lot of this is probably going to drag on past the election day. Um, and depending on how many ballots, you know, separate the winner and the loser, um, there's going to be a fight over how many ballots can you validate. So if, you know, Tom Tillis wins by 15 votes, then the Democrats are going to try to find 15 votes they can invalidate. If uh, Kyle Cunningham wins by 15 votes, it's going to be the same thing. Um, so the closer the election, the longer the legal wrangling uh, drags out and the longer before we uh, actually have any sort of clear winner. So all this is sort of laying the framework for that, I feel like, um, so we can almost sort of see the awful hypotheticals coming at us in the coming months. I really think it could be, I mean, just like the the margin of like how much you win or lose by before coronavirus took over our year. I remember like the biggest story I was working on was just that um, the week after the primary and if Senator Terry Van Dyne was going to call for a runoff for the Democratic uh, Lieutenant Governor against Von Lewis Hawley um, because it had been such a um, close race and she was allowed to, but it wasn't automatic. You have to call for the runoff because it was all within like around uh, you know, multiple ones got like real, real close on percentage wise. Um, and, you know, she decided not to. But I mean, can you imagine if she had called for that and then coronavirus was here and how you would even sort that out? You know, so I think if if there's a clear like what I mean, what kind of spread are we talking about if we're thinking like sports wise, like maybe if there's like a 10 percent a difference, then you know, like, or like how close is it going to be? And and that's why everyone loves to watch North Carolina outside North Carolina right now, because of how close we were with uh, McCrory and Cooper. Con, can you tell us more about how, how that played out in the days after and how, um, cause I wasn't, I think you're the only one of us that was covering state government then. Um, just the, the day to day and, and the uncertainty or, or, or just, yeah, just, Tell us what that was yeah, like. I mean, it was future. just a lot of county level ballot challenges. So somebody was going through um, a lot of the you know absentee ballots and the voting records to see, did someone vote twice? Did they vote in another state? Um, and then filing uh, challenges uh, as a citizen of that county or as a sort of interested observer. But really, they were working for Pat McCrory's campaign. Um, and a lot of those ended up getting thrown out um, that they weren't valid as challenges. And eventually it, it hit a point where there was not much left to challenge and, and McCrory conceded the race. Um, but I think you're going to see, you know, in any close races we have here, you're going to see a repeat of that where people are going to individual counties, uh, searching through public records, trying to identify any sort of voter irregularities and issuing a challenge that then the Board of Elections has to resolve to see, you know, does this vote count? Does this vote get thrown out? Um, is this ballot spoiled? You know, all of these other factors that they're going to have to consider. Um, and it's a really long, painful, obnoxious to watch process. I've sat through a couple of those county board meetings and they're literally going ballot by ballot, vote by vote um, with these particular, you know, challenged issues. And of course you have um, 
a partisan makeup on most of these boards. I mean, you've got a majority that's appointed by Democrats because in the state, whoever is the governor gets to have the majority on not only the state board of elections, but also every county board of elections, even in a county that might be, you know, 80% Republican is going to have a majority of Democrats on their county elections board. Um, and you may see, you know, I think the issue with the uh, state board members who are Republican appointees getting, um, encouraged perhaps uh, might be the, the word to uh, to resign from their position. They're under tremendous pressure from the party bosses if uh, you know they end up being the, the position to decide. Um, and we're still waiting, I think, the uh, governor to pick for uh, the new two Republican members who will replace the ones resigned, but they did uh, issue the list of their, uh, the NCGOP's recommendations and their definitely party stalwarts. It's, you know, former state senators like Trudy Wade and Tommy Tucker. It's former, uh, you know, former McCrory administration officials like Don Vandervaart. Um, you know, this is uh, all of Roy Cooper's potential favorite people that he could be putting on this board are on this list. Um, and I think the idea is that these are people who will perhaps be more judicious in consulting the uh, the party leadership uh, if there's a, a big decision to be made uh, like the the one that occurred last week. That was sarcasm, one, right? About yeah. the favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took me a minute. One thing um, I was hearing is that they want people who will push their agenda forward. Do you think that this list of people fit that bill? Oh, for sure. I mean, these are people, you know, just look at the, the two former senators. I mean, Tommy Tucker and Trudy Wade are loyal foot soldiers for Phil Berger and have been for years. Um, so they will, you know, absolutely, you know, be in close contact uh, with, with Senator Berger uh, in the event that any sort of big stuff comes up on the elections board. Um, so whereas the people they replaced, I mean, they, uh, the the two that resigned, those are not people I had heard of in state politics before they were appointed to the board of election. I'm sure they've had various, you know, political roles and board appointments, but they've not, you know, they're not household names. They haven't been in the legislature. They've not, you know, had a, a big profile and uh, sort of judging by them not even realizing that, you know, they had a four-year term instead of a two-year term. Uh, they're, they're not the most uh, experienced uh, political professionals, uh, shall we say. Why can't it just be nonpartisan? That would be as well. If you remember, there was an effort to do a the Republicans lawmaker legislature called it the bipartisan board of elections, and it was going to be two Republicans, two Democrats, or maybe it was four and four. But anyway, even split between the two parties. But the concern with that was then, do you deadlock and does everything wind up in a courtroom? If they deadlock and can't reach a decision, does that mean nothing gets done? Cooper challenged that in court. It got thrown out. We went back to the original system that was in place uh, before Cooper became governor, and Republicans sought to change the balance of power on the election board. But again, it's, you know, I mean, it's voting. It's just yeah. elections. Like it's not like policy. Like it's. Yeah. Well, and as I, I put it, I made a sports, you know, rep, uh, analogy on Twitter last week of, you know, you, you're basically, it's the Super Bowl and the teams are picking the refs, but one team gets to pick more refs than the other team. Um, and then the teams get to, you know, essentially fire their refs at any point if they get mad about a, a bad call or something. So it's, you know, it's not exactly the best system and it cr paves the way for a close election to very quickly become a hot mess. Um, well, so there's got to be a better way. Yeah. I mean, and when you think about like the average American voter and like what they think of people that are running stuff, like it, it doesn't help. Right. When it's partisan. What I thought was interesting, you were talking about, you know, former state lawmakers. I was looking up something um, 
oh, like from 20 years ago where I was going through the budget and other stuff on the legislative website. Um, thanks. Shout out to people that maintain those documents um, on the on the General Assembly website. But I was like, oh, my goodness, like Berger and Cunningham were like on the same committee together, like, you know, 20 years ago. And there's like Wayne Goodwin. And I'm like, like everyone is like, everyone goes way back. And they all have like long memories. North Carolina for, for the, <laughs> uh, you know, state this size has a lot of the, the same characters keep recurring. I mean, I, you know, I see the press releases from Dan Forrest's campaign and his spokesman is Andrew Dunn, who is a fellow Daily Tar Heel staffer with me at UNC. So well, and he was know. an intern at the Herald Sun, you know, when I was a, a reporter there. So, yeah, it's interesting how small uh, small the world is in some ways. But also it makes me think about, you know, when you're sitting up there in whatever chamber and like just knowing that like, oh, I remember what you did me wrong on this bill like 17 years ago or something like that. And wondering how that works. Or maybe yeah. that's why people who end up becoming, you know, allies over over time, even if they, they don't agree and eventually just say, like, can we get something done that benefits the people, which I would like to hope that's what they do. What do you think, Danielle? I mean, that would be great. Do I think it will happen? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to be not as cynical as I am, but I've been doing this for too damn long. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> and I'm older than you guys. And still, and still, you know, we're, we're, love North we're, Carolina, love America. We're jaded. So not jaded. Well, it depends. On I love day. North Carolina and America. Let me throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, Danielle and I have talked about um, being the state seal for Halloween. <laughs> I think I'm going to be wait. Liberty and Danielle will be, um, what was the other one? Oh my gosh, what is her name? Plenty. It's, oh uh, yeah, Plenty. Is Cornucopia? Can I be the I stake on a pole that uh, one of them told him? <laughs> you can be that. I'll just put a big stake on my head. That'll be my costume. And I told Jonas he could be the boat. Jonas is one of our sports writers, if y'all aren't familiar yeah, with him. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could, we could do a group costume where, like, we're the Longleaf Pine or, or different aspects of the state toast. So the new Domecast bingo is, did I mention um, the order of the Longleaf Pine or the state also, toast? Also, Don and I are so nerdily American that we're going to go vote together. I am Aww. excited. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yay, democracy. Because I don't have a witness, so. Well, you don't need a witness. It's everybody. Oh, if you mail in. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, no, that's great. Mail in if that's what you feel comfortable with. But also, it's it's more fun to just, like, experience it and, like, feeling in the air. my American shirt. With all oh, the yeah. I'll bust out yeah. all, my, all my stuff I wear for uh, 4th of July and Flag Day, which is June 14th. And <laughs> so you see us coming, we'll look real special. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't wear the flag on your clothes because that's a violation of U.S. flag code. So. No, mine is just the stars on a blue background. That's fine. Yes, that's fine. So those of us that have read the U.S. flag code, and I'm sure some of our listeners are too, if you're into Domecast. So speaking of, before we get to Headliner of the Week, um, longtime listeners will know that we switch up the format here and there. And we kind of, I guess, less than a year ago, maybe eight, nine months ago, we had switched to sort of like a weekend review to kind of looking ahead and picking certain themes. Um, we've kept headliner. And, and during election season, uh, reporter Lucille Sherman is a 
is doing bonus episodes with interviews with candidates and and Colin has floated uh, he and I doing just an obscure North Carolina things podcast for all I don't understand why I wasn't invited to but you are okay. invited <laughs> we're all invited maybe that's what Domecast will be uh yeah bosses probably would say no so if you're listening unless you want to say yes that's great uh, so anyway, we're, we're looking at um, maybe switching things up a little bit and how we do things, um, especially since a lot of what we're doing is, is remote for the at least maybe the next few months. So if you all have ideas or things that you love about Domecast that you definitely wouldn't want us to, to ever get rid of or things that you think we could add, uh, just let us know. And yes, we know your issues with uh, sound quality, which we've improved over time, but we're talking about like what our actual content within it is. So um, I think most of listeners know how to contact us um, on Twitter or, or email or, or however else. So anyway, with that, um, let us know what you think. And we'll be back in a minute with Headliner of the Week. And we're back with Headliner of the Week. Uh, let's look at our winners from last week or a week and a half ago, I guess, was the last uh, regular format uh, Domecast we did. Uh, Y'all got busy last week and I was on vacation, so I wasn't around to uh, talk about things or pay attention to things. Um, So the last Domecast poll, pretty clear winner for knowing what Surpur is. Um, Reference to the, uh, I think Danielle's suggestion. (laughs) What's that bear doing? (laughs) (laughs) Danielle, I didn't even see that video when you said that. And then I looked it up. like the best thing panther right after he's like what's that bear doing panther and he's like that's sir purr well that's because the guy next to him said bear <laughs> they just call him sir purr yeah sir purr. it's a great right. video you daniel that watch. was that was the best headliner why don't you go first you gotta go ahead because i don't want y'all to steal it um i am gonna go with tonight's presidential debate because i think that's what we'll be talking about for the next couple well days maybe a week. So presidential debate. All right. I was thinking of like the barbecue dust up. Maybe, maybe Colin wants to do that, but I'm going to talk about something else that was big newsy this week or yesterday that I covered for a very long day. And that was Kamala Harris, the democratic uh, nominee for vice president came through, through town the first time since I covered her when she was in the primary in Durham over, um, over a year ago. So it was interesting riding in the, um, the press pool motorcade and um, doing a lot of sitting around waiting, um, which I've learned from seeing politicians' photos on Twitter. Some of the times we're sitting around waiting was because of um, them all taking pictures together and everything. But uh, Harris made, uh, she recorded a live stream speech that um, at Shaw and then coming out at the building at Shaw and the the Shaw University drumline was really the highlight. Of, the, of course, I love politics and covering it and everything, but I mean, come on, drumline. So um, that was pretty cool. And um, she also did another talk with black voters at a barber shop in Southeast Raleigh and then made a surprise even to the those on the on the press bus where they said, oh, we're making another stop. It's, you know, trophy brewing. Um, but that wasn't a surprise to everybody because, you know, Mayor Baldwin was there and everything. So oh, look who's magically here at the brewery. It's Mayor Baldwin and Deborah <laughs> right. Ross, candidate for Congress. Yeah. <laughs> so my headliner of the week, it's kind of a toss up between like the Shaw University marching band or Kamala Harris. You know, y'all already knew that like Harris was here and read that story. So I'm going to say the uh, the Shaw marching band because they're just pretty awesome. So that's my headliner. 
Colin. Right, uh, as you sort of correctly predicted, I'm going to take the barbecue one because that's just uh, too obvious. That was the uh, big uh, campaign stumble of, uh, of Cal Cunningham's campaign. Um, he tweeted a photo of himself wearing a uh, barbecue ambassador uh, apron that his campaign is selling with his campaign logo. But he's standing next to a gas grill, uh, clearly not a big enough grill to do a whole hog uh, grilling process for you know, real North Carolina barbecue, and uh, he had some hamburger buns and hot dogs next to him. So a lot of people are, have been roasting him on Twitter for um, not knowing the difference between simply having a backyard cookout and grilling out um, and uh, having a proper North Carolina uh, barbecue, which is, as Dawn pointed out, is actually a noun, not a verb, unless you live in some other godforsaken parts of the country uh, where they don't know how to experience the joys of pulled pork. I remember back when I covered books, like this guy had some book about like barbecuing and I was like, I'm sorry, like that's just not going to play here. Like we need to make this clear <laughs> what this yeah, is about. And it's, you know, it's serious. It's uh, like I, I posted the excerpt from Rufus Edmonston's book. He's the uh, former secretary of state, former attorney general who ran for governor back in the 80s and got so tired of eating barbecue that he made a joke about barbecue being gross on the campaign trail and uh, had to call a whole press conference to renounce his previous statement. Ended up losing the governor race uh, to a Republican, one of the first times that uh, Democrats did not uh, to win the, the governor's race in the 20th century. So it's it's serious stuff. You do not want to step in the, the barbecue morass of, uh, of North Carolina politics. So is that your headliner, barbecue morass? Yeah, barbecue morass. Let's <laughs> How put do you that spell way. that? <laughs> M-O-R-A-S-S, I think. And I mean, the point here is that like this is all in good fun. I mean, except for Eastern is best. Like, we know that. But, like, it's in a way of, like, you know, Duke Carolina and everything like that. And um, anyway, so, but also serious. But also not. But, yes, it is. <laughs> All right, y'all. So, I'm Don Vaughn for Colin Campbell and Danielle Battaglia. Oh, don't forget to vote in our Under the Dome Twitter poll for Headliner of the Week. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.